Hello and welcome to another episode of the Focus Seedcast. I'm your host, Corey, aka Focus, and today I'm talking with Alex of the Remedy Co. and the Remedies Culture Cafe in New Haven, Connecticut. Alex and I do a deep dive on fermentation, and Alex goes over some recipes for how to make your own yogurt and kefir. Alex has a wealth of knowledge about gut health, fermentation, as well as pharmacology, including CBD and other cannabinoid products. I'm sure anyone who's interested in health and wellness will get a lot out of this episode. I highly suggest sticking around to the end of the episode to hear a new song from my longtime friend Bezmir, aka BezLeo93 on SoundCloud. That's B-E-Z-Leo93. I pray everyone has a Merry Christmas in 2023. Without any further delay, let's get into the episode. So how you doing, Alex? I'm very well, thank you. So I thought I'd have you on today to talk about fermentation. Um, you have a cafe in New Haven and you do a lot of fermented products. So uh, I thought, you know, we could go over fermentation, some recipes, but uh, but first, why don't you give yourself a little introduction? Awesome. I'm Alexander Angeloff. I own the Remedies Cultured Cafe. It's at uh, 965 State Street in New Haven, Connecticut, and we basically run the gambit of everything you need to repair a damaged gut or maintain optimal health. I opened that after running my business, The Remedy Co. in Wallingford for about five years and seeing all the different ailments that people were coming in for, um, looking to use my natural health products in order to remediate. And they all seem to really trace back to the gut and I thought they would be best prevented in the first place by eating in a particular way that I was developing on myself. And I stopped getting sick, no longer get sick really at all, let alone on the regular basis that um, everyone seems to. And so I opened the cafe in order to make that available and convenient for all people because uh as you'll see in what we talk about, it can get a little bit complicated and most people aren't willing to go to the lengths that one needs to in order to produce uh, the variety of gut healthy and um, different ingredients that will be the kind of foundation of a, of a gut-centered health approach. Yeah, it's interesting. So uh, how did you get it? Like, how did you get into all this? So uh, it started with a lot of experimentation on myself, um, a lot of just reading ingredient lists of things growing up. I come from a long line of pharmacists. Uh, my mom's a psych nurse, and she would always kind of experiment on me. And uh, I was never very much into the pharmaceutical solutions that she might suggest or that her methodologies would always seem to lead to um and then from cannabis psychedelics and understanding those um biological mechanisms and then um from those interests stemming out into understanding kind of pharmacokinetics so wide variety of different compounds and different extracts and formulating my line of uh, CBD products at the Remedy Co. and expanding that into all sorts of different botanical extracts and trying different grades and 
types of extracts of all those different types of things. I built out this sort of intuition, um, became highly sensitive to different nuances and effects that things would have for me from lifestyle and exercise interventions to botanical extracts and natural health products to food. So I really just kind of let first principles and um, my nose be my primary guide. Um, but of course, with a lot of inspiration from existing body of research on the internet and great understanding of underlying mechanisms of how things work and being able to combine those understandings and stack things that I see mechanistically work synergistically and and try those and experience those results so a lot of trial and error a lot of personal experimentation and then the things that work for me entering into my business sphere and becoming something that I recommend to other people cool yeah I've been kind of on a health journey myself especially the last three years um kind of I changed up my diet even though I'm a farmer and I eat a lot of my own produce I still like didn't eat a ton of processed food, but still ate some and, and that sort of thing. So really cutting back on that. And I've been introducing more raw and fermented foods into my diet. Um, I make my own sauerkraut and I really, really enjoy raw milk and all that. So yeah, I think that's, that's kind of a lot of people are having this, uh, this health awakening, especially within the last three years and, you know, kind of considering what they're, what they're eating uh, and how that affects them. Um, so you mentioned you have some, some lines of products. Uh, do you want to kind of give a, just like a brief overview of, uh, some of the stuff that you have available? For sure. So we, um, really have full suite of offerings from tinctures to topicals, vape cartridges, um, capsules, you know, anything you can think of really. Um, a lot of that started for me with hemp extracts and, and CBD um, and seeing that there was, I think, a big margin of value um, on top of even the top players in that space, because even the biggest names, I think, were really just lauded for having the milligrams that they declared on the bottle inside um, what the package contained, which I'd say is a pretty low bar. Um, so not only did I have in my products what I suggested were in them, but I started combining a variety of different botanicals and um, layers of different extracts that um, I understand had mechanisms that would act synergistically either with the cannabinoids or with other botanicals for specific effects. So we have things for anxiety and stress, things for sleep, um, things for pain. Um, a lot of the your primary things that, that people are su suffering from, things for focus. I've uh, been doing uh, some NAD nasal sprays for a long time, and I actually just completed a formula, which is N NAD, Cuprazine A, alpha GPC, and vitamin B6 for cognitive support, focus, mental acuity. Um, and it's really cool because Cuprazine um, A is an extract of club moss and it's very choline sparing. It's a choline reuptake inhibitor. 
Alpha GPC is a choline donor. So you're getting more choline into the synapse while preventing its reuptake. So it's a very potent formula. There's nothing else really like it out on the market. There's actually some somewhat similar attempts at such a thing. And they sell for like $300 a piece. Uh, you might actually also need a prescription or some kind of doctor's recommendation for them. I couldn't exactly tell from the website. Um, and they didn't have that Huprazine A in there either, which to me is kind of a fulcrum of that formula. So I'm super excited about that. Um, we just did a locally foraged ghost pipe tincture. That's going to be really good for pain, anxiety as well. Anything wildcraft, it's going to maintain the highest quantity of uh, medicinal properties due to its uh, needing to have the voraciousness to grow in a wild environment. Um. So really anything that I find is helpful for me and that I can potentially make in a quantity enough to share for other people is, you know, the things that really are included in my product line. So we have a variety of tinctures as well, hemp-based tinctures, CBD, CBG, CBN, variety of different hemp extracts. But the secret of our tinctures is that combine those with five different spice extracts that are all going to convey slightly different influence on those cannabinoids, most important of which is a uh, CO2 extracted black pepper, um, which is very well known for piperine, which aids in absorption, um, but it's not very well known that it also contains something, well, this particular extract contains something called guinancine, which is also found in very small amounts in the black pepper. That guinancine is actually endocannabinoid reuptake inhibitor, has a lot of similar overlapping mechanisms to CBD itself, um, and extremely potent. So things like that, where you're going to combine um, some cannabinoids with an endocannabinoid reuptake inhibitor. So those cannabinoids are going to upregulate the endocannabinoids, and then the reuptake inhibitor is going to stop those endocannabinoids from actually being cleared away from the usual processes. Um, so that's really my specialty in kind of under, understanding underlying mechanics and layering different extra, extracts in such a way um, that's going to really amplify those benefits in some um, pretty staggering and significant ways. And so we're kind of the last stop for people who've tried a lot of CBD and things really work for them or they use CBD. They never really felt any effects from it, but they just take it, you know, on a fate because people say that it's good for them. Um, we really say that you should feel the uh, benefits from the first use. You know, it's really not a thing that you're going to have to wait weeks in order to notice any benefit from. Um, and you can find all the products and the wealth of information at uh, www.theremedycares.com. Cool. Um, can you talk a little bit more about like the fermented products you have and and kind of stuff you have that promotes gut health? Oh, uh, for sure. Um, so all of the products, the natural health products, and of course, um, the fermented food items, um, the connecting thread that I found from all of those was really centered around immunomodulation. All of them modulate the way your immune system works and what that does is convey a healthy and proper inflammatory response. You hear anti-inflammatory thrown around a lot as, you know, some kind of holy grail 
mechanism, um, but I think it's not particularly accurate and a healthy inflammatory response is, is really what you want. So as far as the fermented items that we have at the cafe, things like raw milk, kefir, um, multiple different types of yogurts featuring very high impact probiotics that you're not going to find in any yogurt at the grocery store. Uh, most yogurt at the grocery store is also started from a powdered probiotic um, formulation because the FDA, I guess, uh, really likes that. Uh, but I find that starting a fermentation from a powdered probiotic doesn't really start taking a hold until like the, the third or the fourth cycle. Um, so that means uh, in the case of yogurt, making a batch of yogurt, taking a bit of that yogurt and throwing it into the next batch of yogurt and then um, doing that three or four times, finally it starts to come to life. So with that being said, I don't think a lot of the yogurt at the grocery store is living at all or really should be classified as yogurt in the first place maybe some altered milk product um, might be a better nomenclature for it um, we also do you know, kimchi sauerkraut um, water kefir kombucha you know we'll experiment with tepeche there's you know every culture had it's ferments and variety, different types of fermentations based on what sort of botanicals uh, could be found. So there's a ton of different names, but um, to keep it simple, there's really only a handful um, of different sort of classifications of fermentation. Um, so there's lacto-fermentation, which is most often achieved by adding salt to a vegetable. Um, so you can create a brine, um, usually around 2% salinity. And you can either add the salt to water and add that water to a vegetable or whatever sort of plant matter and uh, submerge it underneath that water. Or you can add the salt directly to um, the vegetable if there's enough water in it, like an onion or cabbage works very well with. You pull the water out of that vegetable and you can use that vegetable's own juices in order to cover it and insulate it from the air. This is the main thing that you wanna do is prevent mold from forming. It's what everyone's very concerned about and keeping all the produce, all the vegetables below the water line is going to be the optimal way of reducing the risk of, of mold. Um, there's also ferments where you take fruit, like a tapeche that I mentioned, you know, so you, uh, take a pineapple, you add a pineapple um, to water and add some sugar. Um, you can also make a ginger bug um, so it's where you cut up some ginger, you can throw it in a jar with some water, add about a tablespoon of sugar to that every day for about five days. You'll see it bubbling. You'll see the opacity of that solution changing more and more. It's 
going to get a little bit foggier over that time. The um, the sugar and water fermentations are a little bit trickier. You have to baby them a little bit more. There's a little bit more risk of mold, I'd say, because there isn't too much protecting it from the mold. And it's uh, favorite food is uh, right there for it. So you really want to be a little bit more careful with those. Um, people are really concerned about mold in general. I think it's one thing that keeps them from do trying fermentation at all. They're very scared um, about harming themselves or consuming something that might do harm to them, despite 90% of what most people consume on a daily basis doing significantly more harm to them than probably even consuming some something that might have potentially been good for them and molded would do. Um, but you really just trust your nose when you're doing fermentation. Um, your nose is the longest standing sense that you have, um, the most primordial sense. And because of that, it's not only great at activating childhood memories and things that uh, have been long lost in your brain, but it's actually going to activate things that have been long lost throughout our evolutionary chain and just kind of ancestral history. So, you know, when you open something up and you smell it, um, if it's foul, if it smells septic, if it smells musty, then you know something went wrong. You know, you'll know when something isn't okay to eat. Eat, you know, you you won't want anything to do with it. Um, sometimes, if you're new to fermenting, it can be a little bit difficult to discern something kind of funky if you don't have uh, kind of predilection or, or taste already for a fermented food item. Um, often, you know, people who are are still largely consuming a poor quality diet or have an immature palate will find that fermented foods also kind of seem icky to them. And therefore, um, they might have trouble discerning something that's good to eat and not. Um, but generally, if you're not sure, it's probably okay. And if it seems really foul, uh, it'll be pretty distinct. Um, versus just being, you know, oh, like a little bit funky, like, I don't know about this. Um, but when something is bad, it's it's very bad gross it looks gross you see something floating on the top of fuzzy green you know mold is very familiar to us um you know if it smells like a musty basement it smells like a porta potty um you know you're not going to eat that even even if i was sitting here trying to convince you that it was something good to eat you're just not going to do it so just, just trust your senses primarily and they'll, they'll guide you well yeah i know people uh have like a little bit of an aversion to like kimchi or something, especially like the first time they smell it. Um, but it, you know, there, there's also kimchi, like a lot of times can smell kind of like funky or bad, but the taste is, you know, it tastes really good. So that's how, you know, you know, even though if it has a kind of weird taste, it's, it's good for you. Cause when, if you taste it and it's something you want to eat more of, then, you know, that's your body telling you something. And uh, I actually, I uh, have a kind of interesting background when it comes to eating in general. I didn't eat vegetables until I was 23 years old um, from the time I was five. And 
it took a, a grueling year and a half of, uh, I guess, what could only be called exposure therapy of just chewing and breathing and smiling. Um, because otherwise I would, I would gag and, uh, you know, my stomach would potentially turn, you know, incredibly deep seated aversion um, to pretty much all, all vegetables. So even if it's something that's not necessarily the most palatable to you right off the bat, if you keep eating it, you're going to develop a taste for it and it'll normalize. And so just knowing that it is good for you um, should be enough to fuel you through at first. You know, you don't have to love everything that you eat right off the bat. And you will come to love it eventually, and especially these kind of things. The issue is, is that we've been conditioned to eat these foods that have been tinkered with by food scientists to um, really mechanistically utilize the same chemicals in your brain that drugs do. Um, so people have basically a physical addiction to sugar and these chemically manipulated foods that have these perfect quantities of fat, sugar, and salt that you'd never find in nature. Um, so it can be a little bit of a rough transi transition going from that um, and being on this kind of sugar roller coaster to breaking through to what I think pretty much always ends up being a more of a salty, savory leaning kind of palate. Um, that's a big thing that fermentation does is it can really bring out some of that, that salty, savory. You can get like these really rich and complex umami flavors that you know, you'd never be able to get. Otherwise, I mean, soy sauce itself, really the most umami thing that uh, we know of is a product of fermentation. So uh, really, I think driving your taste palate in that direction is one of the most important steps for improving your health and for appreciating fermented food items. Yeah, I've noticed that myself. I was never like really into sweets, but um, especially within like eat, eating the way I have, um, a more or less like a, a meat bear, uh, and dairy based diet with some vegetables, um, pretty pretty low carb. Um, I do like some pasta and bread though. Um, those are good, uh, <laughs> once in a while, but, uh, but yeah, like I don't really crave sweets, um, you know, at all. If, if I crave food, it's, it's more like meaty, you know, salty stuff. Uh, but once in a while, some, some ice cream's good, but that's, you know, that's very rare. Um, yeah. So do you want to kind of break down? I know you, you started to kind of go over fermentation processes, but, do you kind of want to go more in depth with one of the processes and maybe give like uh, a recipe or kind of like a, a simple, you know, steps for something somebody could do at home, like a fermentation? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think sauerkraut is a really simple place to start. Um, 
you can take cabbage, shave that down, cut it up, you know, get it as fine as possible. Um, and then in a bowl, if you have a kitchen scale, you can weigh that sauerkraut or that cabbage out. Um, and then multiply the number of grams of cabbage by 0 0.02. That's going to give you 2% of the weight of that cabbage, which you could then, whatever number that gives you, that's the amount of salt that you want to add to that. But, you know, when I was fermenting at home, I wasn't doing a lot of math. Uh, you know, I was looking at the cabbage, evaluating how much it seemed like, taking a tablespoon or two of salt, scattering it around on there. Then you want to really knead it, make sure it's evenly distributed. All the cabbage has some salt on it. It should start pulling the liquid out of that cabbage. Um, then once you notice some liquid pooling and that cabbage kind of starting to settle down, become a little bit more tender, take that cabbage, you can put it in a mason jar, pack it down. Maybe you have like a, a mallet or a, um, what can work well is also is a, is a rolling pin. And if you can take the handles off the side, you can use a rolling pin to pack it down. Um, whatever you got, you know, that's cylindrical, but you want something to tamp it down. You want to pack that cabbage down into the very bottom of that jar. So the liquid is sitting on top of it. Um, and then you can check on it every day or two and keep it in a dark place. Most likely what's going to happen is a bunch of oxygen bubbles are going to form throughout the cabbage. They're going to lift it up. That liquid's going to end up on the bottom. That's good. So you know the fermentation is taking place, but you want to pack that cabbage back down so the liquid's back on top um, because it is likely um, or vulnerable to mold if it's sitting on top. Well, mold requires a damp place, uh, but not completely saturated, not just water. So it needs kind of an island on the top of the water. There's plenty of water. Um, but it can't grow in the brine itself. So keep a layer of that brine between whatever you're trying to ferment and the air. That's going to be ideal. Um, there's actually a lot of vessels out there that you can get. You can get mason jar tops where you can suck the oxygen out of the top with a pump. Or, uh, there's some valves that are available too, and those can help um, because having an anaerobic environment, of course, is also going to make the um, mold struggle even more to get a foothold. But honestly, there's complications to all of those. And sometimes they can give you a false sense of security and not necessarily work correctly. Um, so I'd say really just pack that down every few days. Um, and then after about a week, you can harvest it or it should be rather settled in and you can just leave it. Um, they say about two or three weeks in, some new um, yeast or bacteria starts forming. Um, 
every ferment is going to have different stages and different yeast and bacteria are going to prefer different intervals of, of fermentation. Um, so that's a lacto-ferment, which um, is going to be the basic basic methodology for fermenting just about any produce or vegetable. You can throw some seasonings in, throw some herbs in, some garlic in. It's also going to help um, keep the mold away. Um, then, like I was saying um, previously, you can uh, make a ginger bug, cutting up ginger, um, adding some sugar water to that, and then adding more sugar to that day by day for about a week, and then you can pull that. You need to drink it, or you can add that. Um, so even more sugar water and use that as a starter to expand from. Um, I think, honestly, I think the easiest way to start with fermentation is to um, go get some yogurt, hopefully from a good local source that isn't putting preservatives into it and that's very fresh. Um, if it's available or, you know, maybe your favorite from the grocery store and you could find out whether it's actually alive or not. Um, you can take a tablespoon of that yogurt, put a tablespoon of that yogurt into a quart mason jar, um, add some milk to that. Um, what a lot of people do is they, they turn their oven on low and leave it open. Um, you can also turn your oven on turn it off and then um, and let that cool off a bit, then close it and put it in there. A lot of uh, pressure cookers also have a yogurt making button, which makes things incredibly simple. Um, there's also some types of yogurt that you can make just on the counter at room temperature too, but you probably need to get specific starters for that. Most of the um, yogurts, at the grocery store are thermophilic because they need some sort of warmth. Um, but a dehydrator works very well. Um, or even some people use the oven light. They just turn the oven light on and close it. And they say that makes enough heat for it to grow as well. Um, but I find the yogurt to be very simple. Um, I've never I've never really seen one mold or, or go bad. You know, I've had batches that weren't ideal. I've had, um, you know, my ratios wrong before and I've been very careful with the starter yogurt and milk ratios. And so I've had, you know, angry yogurts before, um, but I think it's, it's a very simple way to start and uh, very, very delicious also. Um, so, yeah, so, so what was that ratio uh, you said again for the um, yogurt to milk? Um, the yogurt, you can just do a tablespoon to um quarter jar um okay. yeah or two and, and two two tablespoons to quart jar um up to about um eight tablespoons for the half half gallon mason jars those are um you know, the biggest ones that you can get at the grocery store um so about eight eight tablespoons in in one of those mason jars and um, yeah, if you've got some, you can even, you know, you can do it in a sous vide. Um, you can just probably warm some water up and, and just even leave that out just in the water that was warm or, or place that whole thing in the oven. 
and insulated. Um, there's a lot of a lot of ways of going about it, but it's generally very forgiving, especially the types of cultures that are used at the um, grocery store, the higher end uh, kind of grocery store. Yogurts um, are, are often very very forgiving, so I think that could be a really good place for people to start. Awesome. Yeah. I, I, I want to try that now. Um, I knew it was easy, but I didn't realize it was that easy. Um, I've seen people do it and like use like a crock pot or like you were saying before, like even the instant pots and, and rice cooker type things will have a lot of times have a setting or you'll be able to, you know, put it on the lowest setting or for temperature and, and, you know, it won't be too hot. So nice. That's pretty cool. Um, do you have any, do you have any other recipes or any, anything else you want to, uh, give out as far as information on, on fermentation? Um, I think, uh, kefir is also another one that you, you can't get, um, you can't get good kefir at the grocery store or really anywhere, but, uh, the culture cafe, my cafe, um, the kefir I've had at the farmer's market, I've been extremely disappointed with. And to me is not kefir, the kefir that I've tried at the grocery store, definitely not. Real kefir. I think they use a back flushing. There's some process that I read online, um, which involves just kind of like using kefir to make more kefir. It's not how it works. Um, the way it works, you can get grains. Um, you can purchase them at the cafe. You can get them online as well. If you're not in the area, um, and then ideally you get some local raw milk. Um, it really prefers the raw milk really likes the cream line on top um in particular just the raw milk and you know some enzymes or uh microbes that are in there are really synergistic with it and you just add the milk to those grains and let it sit um and you really develop a relationship with it is a daily process every day between down a 24-hour cycle you just need to observe and you can see what qualities it has when it's done generally you know little air pocket bubbles being contained in it and it being gelatinous jiggly really good sign um and i think uh the raw milk fear is going to be one of the highest impact things that you could do for your for your health very simple to do at home and i think you can really only do it at home unless uh, you're going to come down to the cafe you're not going to get to fear otherwise so, like, what kind of grains would you use? Oh, it's specifically um, milk fear grains. Okay. All right. Yeah. There's a, it's a particular culture. Got you. Okay. It's good to know. Yeah. I've never, I've actually never even had it. So it's something I, uh, I definitely want to try. I have to, I'll have to come down and check out your spot and, and sample some things. Uh, so it's, that sounds, sounds like it tastes pretty good too. Um, yeah yeah i enjoy it very much i think it's a little bit of a an acquired taste for most people like uh all ferments um but yeah you should definitely come down we'll give you the uh sampler we'll just try a little bit of everything and we'd love to get you acquainted cool yeah well um is there anything else you want to talk about or if or if you have any uh any information plugs you want to give out um, I mean, if, uh, if people are interested in, in trying some of these things, uh, we offer classes at the cafe as well. Um, you can go to 
www.culture.cafe um, and click on the culture um, on the top menu and that will bring up a lot of uh, really cool events. We have a lot of educational events related to all sorts of different uh, health protocols and practices with a variety of practitioners that come down. We have a lot of fermentation classes as well. We offer a um, variety of, of star cultures that are all living already. Most star cultures that you order online have, have been sitting around for a while. And so pretty banged up and need to get brought back to life. Um, and another thing that uh, I always like to try and get across to people is that you, know, you can't escape you can't escape this kind of stuff. It's there's microbes everywhere. There's yeast everywhere. You know, there isn't a surface anywhere that doesn't have yeast that have been adapted to it. And in order, you know, you have to do th things sterilized that are, are pretty heinous generally that are bad for your own health and bad for the health of the world and we've done i think a pretty um extensive job of trying to wage a war on microbes that has done very significant harm to us and i think realizing that we are just an aggregation of a variety of microbes um and that they're critical for our health and our existence is incredibly important for us and to appreciate them and have desire to have a synergistic relationship with them is really the way to optimize our own health and our own existence um so i think germ theory has just been taken way too far and everyone has like a very kind of more hypochondriac driven sort of attitude towards microbes that's not completely baseless there are pathogens out there um but once again going back to um, a balanced immune system well modulated immune system is going to be in a homeostasis with those pathogens they're going to be kept at bay um but it can't be avoided you know you've got sars cov viral RNA floating around in your bloodstream. Everyone listening to this does. It's just whether they're replicating. Um, the ocean is the most bacteria, um, most microbial rich um, place that exists. So every time you're jumping in the ocean, part of why it's so good for you is, is because you're taking like a probiotic bath, um, going to an environment with old growth forest a lot of big ferns um there's some incredible ancient yeast there they're super good for you so you know you're breathing these things in all the time and they can't be avoided so it's really important to consider them and consider how you can utilize them to improve your health rather than trying to just um push against the winds and, and fight them in a way which is really only going to do you harm in the end yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more with that. Um, do you want to give out like your Instagram and stuff too, so people can follow you? For sure. Uh, so you can find the cafe at Culture Cafe CT. 
on Instagram. Um, the remedy, my product line is the remedy cares on Instagram. I also I have my own Instagram. It's Alexander the Angel Off. It's like Angel and Off. Um, and then once again, the website you can find uh, my products is the remedycares.com and the website for the cafe is uh, culture.cafe. Awesome. Well, thank you. Well, it's my pleasure.